welcome, and those of you joining us online or on the phone, I hope every, all the technology is working after the thunderstorms and whatnot last night. I know there's a few power outages. Uh, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, I'm just going to, this is not an apology. I just want you to know that in the, in, in the current state of our culture, the last passage a pastor wants to preach on is 1 Corinthians 6, because there's a lot here, and it's a little bit... Culturally speaking, it is counter, countercultural, and I'm going to tell you a couple things before we get to it. Number one, if you want to read more um, from Paul and what he says about these particular matters uh, of morality, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter six, verses one through twelve. Uh, run one through twelve. We're going to we're going to read twelve to the end, um, and I understand that. Corinth was a shameless culture. Uh, and what I mean by shameless is er, er, anything goes. It was actually, uh, you had the, what do you call them? The pseudo-Gnostics or the almost, it, it developed into Gnosticism. So kind of the, the they were kind of stoic. It, they, they thought that everything of the, of the flesh didn't matter. Only the things of the spirit mattered. And so um, they were sophists, I think they were called. That means it's all about wisdom, it's not about the body. And then on the other side, you have what they call libertines, but um, the heresy that it is, is called antinomianism. Now, it's a big word, um, but it means a lawless gospel, a lawless gospel instead of a law-free gospel. And if you'll remember, and when we first started the, the, this series on 1 Corinthians, um, we talked about the temple of Aphrodite and the Corinthian girls. That's what it came, became known in the, in, the, in the region that if there was a woman who was a bit licentious or promiscuous, she was known as a Corinthian girl. Now, I don't like that. I don't like how we, you know, when, when we kind of put those labels on people, but there were about a fifth of the women in Corinth were temple prostitutes. And then you have the church start, people come to Christ, and they kind of get divided, these people, early on. Like, some say that I'm going to follow what, what Peter says, some say I'm going to follow what Apollo says, some say Paul, and, and it just, it, there was division. So Paul is not happy with what's going on in the church in Corinth. And then he gets at it. Uh, he was talking about the divisions first, and then he starts talking about lawsuits amongst believers, and then he gets, then he gets to a topic that for us, most of us in the room, probably not going to be that uncomfortable, um, but for our culture, it would, it, 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 would bring, it would bring up the ire quite, quite stringently. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to talk about it honestly, and we're going to talk about it, though, because they were a shameless culture, and we're a shame-filled culture, we like to shame people into thinking differently, or I'm not saying we, just saying culturally, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to shame you, I'm going to cancel you, I'm going to destroy you, and vice versa. Um, I'm going to try to approach it not from, a sh not from a shaming perspective, but from a different perspective. Paul goes at it, he even says, I am trying to shame you. He says that in 1 Corinthians 6 in the first half. So, uh, but that worked then because they had no shame. We have lots of shame in our culture, and so I'm going to try to approach it from a different direction, not because I don't like how Paul did it, but because Paul took the opposite, uh, the, the opposite approach with the people of the time, and that is a little different here. So I'm going to try to take a different approach to just let us see the heart of it and not just the, yeah, those people of it. 
Okay, let's pray. Lord, you're God, and you tell us things that counter what our natural tendencies are. Now, I don't think that there's any, I'm hoping that there's not anyone in the room that's really struggling with visiting temple prostitutes, but you're saying much more here through your servant Paul, and I pray that you give me the words to speak, the tenor and the tempo and the, the attitude that you want to communicate. But more than that, Lord, I pray that your truth goes out, your word goes out and does not return void, but accomplishes that which you've sent it to do. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So I saw this week, trying to figure out how to, how to approach this, I saw a, a video of, it was a local news in the Jacksonville area, um, of a couple who a realtor was out, they, they, they're, they're 60 years old, they're semi-retired, they bought a house on two or three acres, and um, suddenly one day they were in their home and they see someone come up with a big camera and they're taking pictures. They put a drone up in the air to take pictures of their property. And this woman comes out and is like, what are you, what, what are you doing? Because, well, your house is on Zillow for sale and I've got some interested people, but there weren't any pictures except for just the road, you know, the street front. So I'm out here getting pictures to help you sell your property. Our house isn't for sale. So someone had decided, gotten on, claimed ownership on Zillow, and then put it up for sale, and then the contact number was a kind of a, a spam number, a Google voice number, that when they tried to call, they tried to track down, they couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get a hold of the person. So it took them, they actually had to call the corporate officers, offices of Zillow, and then two days later they were able to get their house not for sale. Now on top of that, so that kind of ran me down a rabbit hole. Um, I found a couple in, uh, in the Georgia area who went away for vacation, so they went up into uh, North Carolina into the mountains, they came back, and someone had moved into their home. They moved into their home while they were on vacation, and then apparently there are rights for, they call them squatters' rights, there are rights for squatters, people that are living in your home. You can't just kick them out. And they called the police, they, and they had to go through, spent tens of thousands of dollars to, um, to, to go through the legal process of getting these people out of a house that doesn't belong to them. And we see this more and more in, in, in border states where people just take up residence and they just treat your property as if it's their own. Keep that in mind as we read what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. He's quoting, he's quoting things that they're saying. So he says, everything is permissible for me. This is possible, before we get into that, this is possible, possibly things that Paul, this is something that Paul may have said to them. When he was talking to them about the freedom that comes in Christ, he may have said, everything is permissible for me. Talking about what kind of food we can eat, um, whether we have to obey the law or not, the, the law, the, the Jewish law, uh, and then the food for the stomach, and, stomach, and the stomach is for food. Uh, he may have said, look, don't worry about eating meat sacrificed to idols. It's, it's just meat. But if it causes your brother to stumble, then stay away, that kind of thing. So these are things that Paul may have said, and they, but they became, out of context, they became like little mantras in the church. And it says this, everything, he's put, notice this in quotes, everything is permissible for me, and then Paul says, he counters it, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, and then he counters it. 
but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant, and he makes, a, he makes a turn, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then make the members of Christ, uh, take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is, made, uh, is one with her in body? For it is said, two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with the Spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins a man commits are outside the body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. But you, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, he is talking specifically in that last section about people that are saying, it is, I can do whatever I want because freedom in Christ. It's kind of like the people that said, let's sin all the more so that grace can abound. And Paul says, no. He's talking specifically about that. But if you read the verses before, chat, or, uh, before verse 11 or before verse 12, you will see all the other things that he's talking about. And the reason to concentrate on this last part is one of those last verses. You do not belong to you if you're a Christian. And that can apply across the board. So imagine if you leave church today and you go home and you find people living in your house or you go home and they've taken your furniture and left it out on the lawn and put their own furniture in there and they claim your house as their own and you have no rights. Well, of course you have rights. But it's not as simple as get out and they go, oh yeah, sorry, I'm out. They treat you, it's actually a, a legal term called usufructing. So you have people that are moochers, people that, that, that take something from you to use for themselves. You have um, usufructors, I know that's a strange word, but it's, it's, it's treating someone else's stuff as if it belongs to you. Think of David, <clears throat> this is back in, uh, in one or two Chronicles, like, uh, but David, when he counted his soldiers. He took a census of his soldiers. In that culture and to God, you only count that which belongs to you. And those men belong to God. And what was God's response to David when he took a census of his army? He sent an angel of death to destroy the people of God, to destroy those that David considered to be his own. And David stood up on the same spot that Jesus was later crucified, and I paraphrase, but he said, take me, not them, it's my sin, not theirs. So David finally confessed that he had done wrong. He finally confessed that I treated something of God as if it belonged to me. God tells us in a wonderful and glorious way that he is a jealous God. And when we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet, in our culture, and sometimes, if you, if you, if you do the stats, 
Christian conferences at hotels back before everyone had access to everything on their phone, the use of in-room triple X and double X movies did not change at all if the hotel was filled with Christian men or if the hotel was filled with non-Christian men. The divorce rate isn't that much different in the church than it is in the culture. What people view, what people read, what people do, we've kind of convinced ourselves that everything is permissible for me. But Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. If our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, if God no longer resides in brick and mortar and in the Holy of Holies in a temple in Jerusalem, but instead you have become the Holy of Holies, according to Paul, because you're a temple, because the Holy Spirit dwells within you, your body no longer belongs to you. It's a similar concept to marriage. In fact, um, <clears throat> some, of the, some of the verbiage in the gospel according to John, um, and John 17, 3, 16, 17, 3. And this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, the one true God. The word for know is the same Greek word used to describe a husband and a wife knowing one another. That kind of deep down, intimate, everything completely shame-free and completely exposed. That is the, the, the call of Christians, to know God in such a way that we are naked body, soul, and spirit before the Lord. So a husband and a wife knowing one another and being shame-free is a way of saying, I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life to my faithful wife, Lynn, and she to me. And so if I misuse my body with my wife, or not with my wife, would be a better way of saying it, then I have stolen something. I've treated something that belongs to her as if it doesn't. I've usufruct. I have used something that isn't mine as if it were mine for my own purposes. The same is true with what we view online. The same is true with what we fill our minds with. The same is true of how we treat people, uh, how, what we do with our bodies. And it, he's talking about visiting temple prostitutes right here. He is. But he's also, if you read the context, he's talking about all kinds. He has a list of things that, that Paul says people that, are, that do this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's a huge list. It's not just this. And I'm not, I'm not angry with anyone. I, I, I just think that we have been, to some extent, each of us has been deceived a little bit. And then if you're deceived a little bit, you get deceived a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. We don't talk about purity. Physical, moral, spiritual purity. But you'll remember that, that it's, we're told that, that be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So imagine it like this. Think of something that you're ashamed of. 
I'm not shaming you. I'm just, I'm just showing you kind of how it clicked. Think of something you're ashamed of that you do or don't do or used to do. Would you continue doing it with your mom in the room, with your wife in the room, with your husband in the room, or with Jesus in the room? Would you do it or would you kind of hide? Jesus is in the room all the time. What you see, the Holy Spirit sees. What you do, you're doing with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's getting at. He says very clearly, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? It's a gift that God gives us. You are not your own. I know we know the concept, but is that how we behave? I have no idea. Is that how I think? Not most of the time. Is that what the world sees? See, the world sees us as, you can't do that, 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 you can't do that. Freedom in Christ says, that Christianity is not the can't-dos, it's the get-tos. But our bodies are not made for those sinful things. And so that telling us that God actually values you, us, more than we do. What would you wish for your children or grandchildren as they come into the time in their lives where they want to see things that they probably shouldn't see? They want to do things that they probably shouldn't do. Would you encourage them to just go do what feels good? Or would you try to advise them that God has something better? Now, you could say that this, you, 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 you could say that this message is about sex and sexuality. And it is. But it's about everything that's immoral according to scripture. I do not believe that Christianity is just a set of moral codes that you keep. That's legalism. I also don't believe that Christianity is just do whatever you want because you're forgiven and God has to forgive you. That's antinomianism. That's lawlessness. So freedom in Christ is choosing to submit yourself to God's desires, God's will, and God's plan over and above your own desires and your own plan. It is choosing to say, Lord, I will not do what comes natural to me. I will do what comes natural to you. And that means what I view, what I read, how I treat people, what I do with my body, what I do to others' body. It means all of it. There is no distinction in Christianity between what I believe and how I behave. Zero. So it is natural when someone strikes you to strike them back. It is natural when someone wants harm to come to you to want harm to come to them. And I sat with someone, I sat with someone this week who's planning a ceremony and the family's kind of divided. And because some people are taking shots at the person I met with, they kind of want to take shots back. And they're completely justified in doing so. But it's not the right thing to do. 
The right thing to do is the hard thing to do. The easy thing to do is the wrong thing to do. 99% of the time. So, if someone came over to your house or wherever you live and they started putting graffiti to mark it as their territory all over the siding of your house, they started parking, they take your cars out, they roll them into the street, whatever happens, happens, they start parking their vehicles in your garage. They throw all your furniture out on the yard and they bring all of their furniture in. They change the locks and they tell you, you can't come in. Good? How would you feel? How would you respond? When we misuse the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are moving out God's furniture and moving in our own. We are treating his thing as if it's our thing. That's theft. Are you okay with taking from God what belongs to God and treating it as if it's yours? And if you leave here this morning or if during the worship services you're singing songs and you're thinking, I don't do that one thing, I'm good. We all do something. We all do sometimes. We do what comes natural to us. We do what, what's, what's of the flesh. We do, we do what humanity does. And when we do and we realize it and we confess it and repent of it and ask forgiveness for it, we receive it. But the part of repentance that we often forget, it's not just saying, I'm sorry. It's saying, Lord, this is the thing I did. I know it's wrong. I ask you to forgive me for that thing. And as far as it depends on me, from this point forward, I will strive or I will try. I will, I will seek your wisdom first so that next time I'll do what you want done instead of what I want to do. There's a reason that the church statistically doesn't look that much different than the culture. We talked a few weeks ago that what Paul was getting at is when the agenda, the behaviors, and the attitudes of the world align perfectly with the agenda, the beliefs, and the attitudes, and the behaviors of the church, something's wrong in the church. That could be political, it can be moral, it can be all of it. The church is supposed to look differently. We're supposed to look like God's people, and we're supposed to treat our bodies as if they contain the holy of holies. And the Holy Spirit of God sees everything I see, experiences everything I do, and wants to convict and forgive but he does not forgive if I don't confess. You're not your own. And I know every one of you in this room already knows that. But because it showed up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, I can't just skip over it. It needs to be said. It needs to be communicated. And we need to be reminded. Not just you. We. Me too. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, 
When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds your hands have made. Lord, I honestly don't think about that stuff most of the time. I forget often that you are God, that you are holy, and that you define holiness, not me. So I pray, Lord, that if conviction for any of us is needed, that with kindness and gentleness and mercy convict us. Show us specifically. We're not being condemned, but show us specifically that which we need to confess. And as we seek forgiveness earnestly, Lord, be faithful to your promises that you will separate our sin as far as the east is from the west. Lord, call us. You have called us, and I pray that you give us the courage to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, for the glory of God our Father.